This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives, with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. I'm looking at my phone here, Stu, with the the loose ends, the notes that I made from the last session we did, uh, little bits of loose ends that... I'm going to talk about today, so there oh, might be some great. surprises for that, you fellows. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's fine. I'm just going to probably look as confused as our listeners are. No, it's, uh, it's going to be great. We're, we're back in the studio. We're picking up our discussion for Thrive Perspectives as we look at Worldview. And uh, we've been uh, just a reminder to those uh, who have been listening, and perhaps if you've just joined us, we're, we're kind of using a model of a, a diagram that has a horizontal axis and a vertical axis, so it looks like a plus sign. And we're looking at how our worldview has tended to be flattened down onto a horizontal-only axis, which focuses on moving from pain to pleasure, pain being at the left-hand end of that axis and pleasure at the other. But how uh, God is calling us to have a worldview that looks uh, has the vertical axis as well with sacred at the top. And what is it? Well, it's the, it's the, uh, it's more than the profane, really. It's the, it's the, Sense shame. of desecration and defilement, shame, shame. guilt—that's at All the bottom of that of that axis. And of mm. course, what we've said is that there's there's been a tendency to wipe out that vertical axis axis because we we don't like because in fact the experiences at the bottom of that axis mm. are well quite literally hellish experiences. Mm. And because we want to purge ourselves of those experiences, what does tend to happen is that we get rid of the whole mm. vertical axis. In other words, we desensitize ourselves yes. to that whole dimension of reality. But mm. the problem is we also lose that for which the the human heart uh, is most in need or, yeah. or that what fulfills yeah. our desires in the most sublime sense. And yeah. that is the glorious and the holy and the, the, the majestic. And that's all at the top of that, you know, yes. uh, holiness yeah. And, yeah. and glory lies at the top of that um, vertical axis. So, yeah, so we've been talking about uh, that, that process of really resensitizing ourselves to what even for a lot of Christians, I think, has can tend to be a bit lost. Yes, yeah. And we covered that particularly last in our last conversation around how we resensitize ourselves to the sacred. And mm. I think important to understand that it that that sacred can't exist. I mean, it, what allows profane to exist is that there are things that are sacred. Yeah. Because it's sacred that defines what's profane. Mm. So if you want to eliminate profane or shame or guilt or all those mm. things, you can't not eliminate the other end of that axis. Yeah. And so by even if our intent is only to eliminate guilt and shame and and the profane, yeah. uh, the reality is we also eliminate the sacred yeah. and the holy and the yeah. cl- glorious. So, from yeah. from my understanding, the the usage of the term profane is not necessarily a, an outright negative thing, but it, it's it's that which is not sacred, sacred. in a sense. Yes. Yeah. And so it's often said in the Bible, you know, uh, you know, God uh, accuses His people because they bear His name. Mm. Of profaning his name, this yeah. idea of pro- so that is making something ordinary that is sacred, yeah. you know. And there, you know, ordinary, uh, in a sense, has this desecrating to profane. Then has this desecrating, desecrating uh, effect. So it yeah. sort of ends up uh, yeah. down there. But I, one of the one of the loose ends that I just wanted to speak to well, just before we do, Matt. Yo, just before we do, let's just make sure our listeners know who you, you're. Obviously, we've got Matt. Uh, who was who will do most of the talking? I'm sure uh, we'll do most it's of the listening. Necessary. We've got our we've got our special guest uh, Connor, who's been really um, bringing some great 
contributions to this conversation and and we just before we began we uh we were having a bit of a chat off mic and and we've got about 17 more episodes in the pipeline <laughs> now as a result of that uh so it's great to have you guys with us matt loose ends you were about to jump yeah. in some loose ends i'm always jumping in uh Stu. No, thank good. you it's good one of the questions that uh, that occurred to me and that may have occurred to listeners when because we've been speaking about the sacred about well what is sacred because we've talked about a lot of things being sacred i mean in one sense it might even sound like we're saying everything is sacred because we've talked about the sacramental significance of all of the good things in the world that god created god created the world so in a sense the world is sacred and it has the sacramental significance. It communicates uh, some, the goodness of God to us. Well, God created everything. <laughs> yes. So, and he created every, and he called what he created good. Now, he calls what he creates uh, good, and, and that's, you know, particularly with respect to, you know, the world, planet Earth in, in particular. That's, mm. that's the focus. The question, you know, could be raised, well, if everything is sacred, isn't it true is then sacred? that nothing is yeah, sacred, exactly. really? Yeah. And I think... The way to understand sacredness, I think, is relating it particularly to God's order. There's a kind of order in creation, a, a sort of a hierarchy, and, and the ancient theologians used to talk a, a, about a, a hierarchy of being. You know, there's mm. this kind of ordering of things, and mm. uh, Augustine in particular, particular, he identified his definition of evil essentially because he wanted to answer the question, well, if God created everything, where does evil, what is evil? Because God doesn't create something inherently evil, evil. right? Mm. So, so there can't be things in the world that are inherently, uh, well, as we've been saying, unholy in a in that sense, you know, um, uh, that are that is that are inherently evil. So, Augustine's answer to that, which I think is 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 really carried, you know, and I think carried the day, and I think is a is a very biblical answer to that, based on Genesis one, which is all about order, is that. He says, and when I'm talking about Augustine, I'm talking about um, church, important church father that lived around the uh, 400 AD sort of mark. Very important early church thinker that really set up uh, set up a lot of um, what is now commonly understood theology. So he said, essentially, evil is a disordering of God's hierarchy of goods. Uh, it, it's understood that there's sort of this hierarchy of being. So, so God created animals you know, other animals to be good, they are good. And yet he placed human beings as the crown of his creation in a sense. And so while both are good, there's an order, there's a there's an ordering. And and you know, in Genesis one, order by the very shape of the text is an essential element actually in that goodness. Yes. You know, because on the seventh day God looked at everything together and then it says uh, that God saw that it wasn't in Hebrew. It's tov ma'od, which means very good. It was very good. And so there's this sense that there's this completeness when everything's together in its rightly ordered fashion. And, of course, the way that that's set out in the text is because God is giving order to human life. And so, you know, the, seven day, the, the six days and the resting on the seventh becomes a key way of ordering the life of God's people. So sacredness has something to do with with God's order, you get this sense in Genesis chapter one that God, that that creation, that the earth, in a sense, has this sense of being God's temple, the holy of holies. It's interesting that in the ancient world, they they understood the universe 
as being a cube. Uh, a cube you know, was the symbol of perfection. And then it's interesting to note that the dimensions for the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle it's and then again in the temple was a perfect cube. Yeah. And then it's interesting to note that in the New Jerusalem, that the in Revelation chapter 21, when it gives the dimensions of the New Jerusalem, the dimensions of the city, and a lot of people don't notice this, but it actually is a cube. It's a perfect cube. So in other words, the city, which is a symbol of the new heavens and the new earth, uh, you know, whether it's literally going to be a city. I mean, there's no, I, there's no reason to doubt there may not be a city or cities or whatever. But, but the, the actual point is, is, is that the, the city is used as a symbol of God's new heavens and the new earth. New earth. Uh, it's the dimensions are given and it's, you know, it's a cube, a perfect cube. And so there's this idea of, of perfection and, but particularly this idea connected with the, te- with the temple tagana- tabernacle, that the whole earth will be, as it were, God's holy of holies. Because God says, I will dwell in Revelation chapter 21. God says, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will dwell with them, right? So n- not just in their midst, in the tabernacle, but really with, in, in, the, in the fullest sense, the whole earth will become the holy of holies. So what you're, what you're saying, in a sense, is the corruption of the sacred is us reordering and saying, no, actually, this is more important to me. Is, is that kind of what we're saying? Yeah, in terms yes, of in that's our, right. In our lives, or even right at the beginning at the fall, there's a sense of, well, no, we want to make our own decisions. We're going to doubt God. So we're taking God's sovereignty and lowering. That's right. So yeah. the shape of the Genesis chapter 3, mm. where the fall mm. is described. Now, the interesting thing about that is it deliberately describes a flipping of God's yeah. hierarchy, you know. So you have the, the lowest of all creatures that tempts and ex, ultimately exercises authority yep. over human beings. And, uh, and so you see this, this flipping of that, that order on it. So that's what evil is. You know, so, so, so that's where you get what is then perfect, what, you know, this perfect ordered yes. uh, situation becomes disordered and, and chaotic. Mm. And that's essentially the nature of, of, ev- of evil in, yeah. in the world. Now, the interesting thing is, if the whole world was created as a kind of the holy of holies, and this brings us back to my original question, if everything is holy, then, you know, then isn't nothing holy? You know, isn't nothing? Well, I mean, it, it's interesting because holiness throughout the Bible tends to mean separateness, a set apartness. Now, you could say that in a world of evil, holy, in a sense, the word holy sort of comes to mean that. Uh, but there is a real sense in which the world can be still seen as as holy in that sense. I mean, we're much more aware now than in, in ancient times that we live in a universe. I, I, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know how much you can, re- you have to be cautious about reading this into the text, but I just, I find it interesting that you get this world that's depicted as like this holy of holies. From what we understand, the earth is this, uh, in our solar system, in fact, in our galaxies, this one, this one inhabited, inhabitable spot that has these perfect conditions for life that God has given to us as human beings. And so there's a holiness about this is what the astronauts experience when they, you know, when they go out to space and they look back at Earth. You know, the, yeah. uh, the account, one of the things that they're often struck by is, is the, almost the sacredness of this one pocket of life. You know, when they go out and they, they, they experience the sheer lifelessness of what's out there, the hostility even of what's out there uh, to life. And yet they look back at this beautiful mm. planet mm. that God has created. 
And I think that's a very biblical view in a way. It's this sense in, you get the sense that they're viewing the world in something of the way that when God rests on the seventh day and he looks at all that he created and he sees that it's very good, there's a, there's a declaration of sacredness about that. And I think that's what, you know, that's what they experience. So, so in a sense, you know, this earth is our, is our home. It's, it was created to be a holy place. But even within that holy place, there is an order. You know, mm. there is an orderliness of things, mm. a sort of a, a great chain of being or hierarchy of being with some things on top. And, and, and part of what is sacred is that order. And mm. so we mess with that order when we treat, when we treat things in a way that is not in accordance with how they're meant to be treated. Then we desecrate something sacred. Mm. Yes. I think what you're trying to say there, Matt, is what I'm hearing is that really the inherent thing of being sacred and holy is a sense of, of order, it's how things are organised, and they become inherently not sacred or prof- mm. or profane or unholy when they fall out of order. So that mm. makes me then sort of think: Are things sacred, or is it just the sense of order yeah. or disorder? That's so. I was going to say mm. the same thing. It gives you the sense that anyone could make anything sacred. I could decide that my job. Or this item is sacred, which is what we have in idol worship well, yeah, in a sense. But it's not it's not God's order. All of these things are part of God's order. Yes, yeah. yes. If you accept the biblical yeah. world. So you're getting really philosophical here because a thing is what it is in relation yes. to other things. Yeah. Uh, we define things in their distinctness from other things. Mm-hmm. And so it's the framework or, in other words, the order that we give to life that distinguishes certain yes. things. Even language, there's a there's an inherent order to language. And so we make certain distinctions in language. Mm. I mean, this is in, in philosophy is a big deal because mm. uh, some postmodern philosophers will argue that language is rigged to impose an artificial order. Mm. You know, we speak in a lot of dualisms. Uh, and so, for example, male and female, I feel like is an artificial, uh, it's like artificial order that language imposes on reality. Anyway, that's a big t- mm-hmm. <laughs> topic yep. there. But, um, you know, but it shows how language actually is a kind of ordering. Um, and a lot of our language is actually historically has been shaped by the Christian worldview. Yeah. Um, but increasingly that's being tweaked and, um, uh, in, in, you know, in, in subtle ways, you know, that's being tweaked and, and, and changed. And so, uh, yes, everything that God made in the world, there's a sacredness to it, but it's a sacredness by virtue of its, you know, of its role yeah. within God's creation and God's order. Or could you say that all, like, I can't actually think of anything that would be that a thing is profane. I would think everything that God's made and put in the world has a sense of, well, if God made it, mm. then it's sacred. Mm. But it's those things then get put out of order. Yeah. So they're not being used the way that God intended yeah. for them. So every person's sacred, even though you yes. could be the most corrupt person walking, yeah. walking the face of yeah. the earth, committing the most heinous of crimes, yeah. you're still sacred. And a tree is still sacred because God mm. still made the tree. The problem comes when you abuse those things. And I think coming like to what you're you mentioned there about, you know, anybody could say, well, this is this is a thing, it's sacred, so, you know, like a job or whatever. But mm. I think, I guess a job isn't really a thing. It's a, it's an order that mm. we use to create, orientate mm. our, our lives around. So we're taking things like whether it's money and, you mm. know, pursuit of an income and so on, and then do things with that that comes out of 
I'm not saying having a job selfish, but what directs you to a particular job or not to a particular job, it's it in itself could be could represent order or, or disorder. I mm. guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's almost like every object or everything that was made is fundamentally sacred. That's how I understand it. You can clarify it for me, yeah, because I'm not sure whether that's yeah, that's true, true. Or, or yet you know, because a lot of people when you say a tree is sacred, you know, because in some faith systems. You know, you have like a sacred tree or, for, for example, a sacred cat, like, mm. you know, it's the sacred, yeah. famous sacred cow. Um, and therefore, you don't cut down the tree, you don't kill the cow. Like it, within God's order, trees can be there for us, you know, to, to actually use. Yeah. So in that sense, there's not a disordering there. There's only a disordering, you know, if we do that to excess, if we wipe out ecosystems. So, you know, and this is the interesting thing because ecosystems are, are an order. I mean, the re, you know, the environmental crisis that we're facing today can largely be understood in messing with an order, right? It's like the, you know, the fine climate balance of parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere, for example, you know, it is, and it's, you know, you know, it's well outside now of its stability point. So there was this point, sort of this Goldilocks zone, that now uh, we've sort of knocked it outside of that. And so there's a disordering of, of the environment. And, you know, I would argue that that order was something sacred and we messed it up. Mm. So things like uh, even, you know, even killing a cow to eat meat. I mean, look, again, in some, uh, in some faiths, you know, all, all life is sacred and so killing a Killing anything, in fact, in you know Buddhism, mm. is is a desecration uh, of life. Even you know stepping on an ant, or uh, from you know up to killing uh, something for for food. I mean that's interesting because in Genesis uh, it was the plants that were given to you know humans and animals uh, as you know you know as food, mm. and yet at the, and yet at some point, eating of animals becomes um, sort of is sanctified in a sense. Mm. And even becomes part of, you know, the, the the Passover. Now, one could argue that, you know, that there's an interesting question: is in 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 a new heavens and a new earth, will we eat meat? You know, mm. I tend to think we may not. I know that will dis- disappoint people, but that's just because <laughs> it sort of disappoints me. Uh, because you know, you're telling me that I can't enjoy a good Kransky or something, you know, that's just. Uh, but maybe we won't care, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. because it'll just be so good. Um, anyway, I don't want to get off track. I've never thought. <laughs> Eating meat, that question before of eating meat. Yeah, yeah. but, you know, this is the you – know, because, again, in the beginning, that's – like in Genesis chapter 1, uh, that's, you know, God gives all, you know, uh, all of the plants to, you know, f- for nourishment uh, to So what we're saying here is that, that, that God has defined in his order what is sacred, you yeah. know, and, and we know that. But we, in our in our own sense of wanting to control our – we decide – what we think is sacred, yeah, and when those two things don't align, that's yeah. When well, we we reorder essentially. Right. Actually, reorder. It's, it's not yeah. you know, in a sense, uh, it's not about the things. It's it's the it's the order. You know, uh, it's the order of those things and the way that they're used as yeah. well. Yeah, because I would say a lot of people would say, you know, we've we've had this conversation. If it doesn't hurt anyone else, then there isn't a problem with it. Kind of, or if yeah. I don't hurt anyone else, there isn't a problem with it. Which basically says I'm elevating my right to yeah, my individual right. rights. In the wrong order, in terms of thinking collectively about yeah. everyone else, and that's so right. that I've made my personal rights more sacred, for want of a better word, than the the, the broader rights of yeah. community. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, what we do, and, and one of the ways that this has been expressed, is that we, 
and pretty much from the time of uh, of the English philosopher uh, Francis Bacon onwards uh, in the sort of 16th century when the beginnings of the scientific revolution, one of the complaints is, you know, previous to that time, there was a sense of nature as something much more animate and, um, uh, well, animate in, in the sense of p- purposeful and, mm. and, and guided and, you know, God at work in and around all things and... and what changes in the scientific re- uh, revolution, and, and particularly you see this in Francis Bacon's um, work, is that it, everything becomes instrumentalized. That's the term that's used. So we have an instrumental use of. So basically, all things are just things for us to use for our ends. Right, and and that becomes justified under the rubric of subduing the earth Mm. you know it's well we're told to subdue the earth but the problem is is that that starts to look like exploitation Mm. so Mm. subduing the earth is seen as an excuse for this kind of instrumentalization of you know that we instrumentalize everything for our pleasure getting back to the flat uh, axis so it's like we're we're creating the order yes for our benefit yeah that's right and, and, you know, the interesting thing is, because there's a lot of critique of that in particularly uh, with all of the discussion around environmentalism, and people be quick to say, oh, well, this, you know, the reason why we exploit the world is because of this Christian idea of subduing the earth, right? Whereas actually that's never what was in my, what, what, what it meant ever. You know, it was during, you know, that, those early stages that, that, idea was introduced and justified because all sorts of terrible things are justified uh, justified biblically but actually you know th- there is this inherent value to all things and this is what for example in in a important stream of environmental thought known as deep ecology uh, Arne Ness who's a Scandinavian philosopher you know one of his key arguments is that you know we we recognize the inherent value of all living things um, rather than the instrumental value, and that we understand ourselves and our Id- and our identity, our human identity, in our place in in an ecological sense. Now, I think you know there there are in in reading his argument, I, I felt there was a lot of validity actually to what he, he was saying. Even though you know someone like that would be quick to blame the biblical tradition f- essentially for a desecration. Uh, this is the this is the thing, um, but actually. Uh, it's it's certainly not part of the biblical worldview. In a from a biblical worldview point of view, we would absolutely agree and recognise that all things have inherent value because they are created by God, and particularly because they are part of God's perfect order. Mm-hmm. You know, everything has its place. The problem is, is that we've reordered, we've played God with respect to nature. We've instrumentalised everything. Everything is is for our pleasure. Now, the interesting thing is there's an element of, you know, a lie is always a twisted truth. Um, That's what makes lies compelling. Uh, And there's an element of truth in that, yes, there is a sense in which all of creation is for our pleasure. You know, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And this beautiful creation was to be part of, as as I've said before, part of that. In fact, it was had had this sacramental significance. It communicates to us the goodness of God. But we reordered the hierarchy and we messed up the use of things, and we started using things in the wrong way, and 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 mismatching things, and all sorts of things. But it's inevitable because if everything is just atoms, then it's inevitable. 
that you're just going to use those atoms in the form of whatever it is yeah. as a way to ensure my survival. And in, in, a, in a, if you take that, the kind of the spiritual, that, that the fact that there is an order that transcends mm. just the reality that we kind mm. of are aware of in the natural natural world. Mm. Um, once you take that out, then everything is just some atoms that are useful for us and to ensure our survival. And it's our survival that's ultimately the thing that kind of drives us forward as a as a as a race. Um, that, that's a, it's a good point because without a transcendent perspective to speak about value itself. And this is mm. the issue that I have with the deep ecology view is that they speak so vehemently about value and even a sense of sacredness, but value is a judgment made can only, is it, you know, either it's an instrumental value, which is what they're vying against, or it's a value from it having a value that's ascribed to it by it's imbued yeah, yeah. by a by a trans from a transcendent source yeah. that is God, mm. and so I think without that transcendent source in God, I, I, to speak of value in such a transcendent and and even in such a sacred sort of sense, I think is unintelligible without mm. you know without some without some standard for that. So this is where I think this is a good segue actually yeah, good. to go into because um, th- I because I think so far this makes sense of. Of a lot of the material that we have in a book of the Bible that everyone loves to flit over and, and, and that people, a lot of people get completely vexed by. Oh, I know where you're going. <laughs> the book of Leviticus. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Now, the interesting thing about the book of Leviticus, see, the book of Leviticus is all about identifying holy, the holy from the unholy and the solution to unholy. It's, it's providing a solution to our um, desecration or our defilement. And it's a there's a sense of cleansing and 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 a making holy, right? But not only a making holy, but uh, in Leviticus we have the keys to uh, really a kind of resensitization to the whole realm of the holy. So people overlook this particular text uh, in the Bible. I totally understand because it's really weird. All there's all, but but it's um, it's weird. Uh, because we don't understand the framework, yeah. in a way, look, there are, there's a lot of cultural stuff going on there as well. That there are things that would have made sense to them that don't make sense to us. Granted, but um, but, but, this- but also, is it about some things that just aren't going to make sense? Uh, like I, I hear the you know making sense idea, and I've often when I've read Leviticus, which I have to be honest and say isn't that often, but when I yeah. have, it, it's a bit like me saying to my young child, "No, you can't play with that." He doesn't understand why. I know why, but trying yeah. to explain to him why yeah. is going to take too long. And so there's a point where he'll never be able to reason that until he's perhaps older mm. and can reason it. Um, is yeah. do we need to be able to? No, explain that's right. It, yeah, no, we know? don't. We don't always need to to know why before we, you know, I, like, you know, there are a lot of things that God says, you know, thou shalt not da yeah. da 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 da, da yeah. and it's not really for us to say why. We mm. just trust that that's mm. the way that God has ordered things. Now, I would argue that, that, that there are 
you know, that subsequently we can find very good reasons for those things, but it doesn't depend on that. Totally, I would agree. Now, I mean, the importance of Leviticus is underscored by the fact that it's in the middle of the five books of the Bible. So it's in the middle of what's called a chiasm. And a chiasm is a literary structure that was used in the ancient world where you put the most important thing in the middle. Ah. A chi is the Greek letter X, right? So, you know, X marks the spot in a sense, the center of the cross uh, you know, marks the most mm. important point. Mm. So that's why you have the um, the Jewish um, candlesticks. You know the the menorah. Yeah, the menorah, which has the the central stand, and then the generally seven with the central stand. Mm. You know, and the idea it, it, that kind of a lot of the literature is shaped like that, where it puts wow. the most important thing yeah. in the center. So Leviticus, because it's it's really you know it's the charter for the Levites, but it's you know this is. This is the instructions for the temple cult, which is a three-dimensional theology of how we're saved. Mm. You know, I mean, goodness. That's, and then, so and that's placed right in the middle mm. of the Torah, which is the law, right? Yeah. So it's not, it's not, the center is not the Ten Commandments. Mm. Uh, the center is not what we do. Mm. The center is what God has done for us. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and, and around what we could then do in response, you yeah. know, the worship. So, yeah. so that's at the center of the book. Then if you go to the center of Leviticus... Uh, do you remember, do you, do you know what might be at the center, the central chapter of, of Leviticus? The halfway point? The ha- <laughs> Thanks, Stu. That's, man, that's, brilliant. that's really perfect. Yeah, We're going got deep, no idea. No, I have no idea either. No uh, the idea. Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16. Oh, wow. The Day right. of Atonement is right at the center wow. of the book, center of the chiasm. You know, so this is, this is a really uh, important book. And a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of the idea, and in fact, in a couple of times in the book of Leviticus, uh, God says through Moses to his people, he's, God says to Moses, you need to teach this people to distinguish between the holy and the unholy, right? Now, he says to the people, "You be holy as I am holy. Now, the implication is there that they start off in an unholy place and that in a sense, humanity is in an unholy place, but they of all people are to be set apart for God to be holy. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it's true that all life is sacred certainly all human life in a very special sense this is the order right yeah but what god does is that he sets about an order to restore the broader order mm-hmm. so to the jew first and then to the gentile right yep. so he says i'm going to start with abraham I'm going to start with, and, and with abraham's people the israelites i'm going to start with this people i'm going to set them apart as holy and through them i'm going to sanctify or make holy a broader people mm-hmm. from every tribe, tongue, yeah. and nation, right? And they will be my holy people who will one day inhabit the new heavens and the new earth, which will be my new holy place. Yeah. And so that every and everyone and everything will be holy in that instance. Yeah. So you see the order in that. So holiness is the big, it's the, you know, Leviticus is the holiness code. So what God does in Leviticus is that he shows them how he restores their holiness and that's through sacrifice. So it's through the bearing of, so the, and this is the, this is the great, uh, even the absolute paradox that the holy God comes into time in human form and becomes, as Paul says, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin. Mm. That one who was holy became sin so that we could be made righteous uh, and, you know, the sacrifices it depict that, you know, that transferal and that 
you know this yep. that central element of redemption. But they also, and this is the this is the bit that people a lot of people don't understand. So a lot of people get that part. The bit that a lot of people tend not to understand is all these weird laws like food laws. You know, you can eat this and this and this, and but you can't eat this and this and this. And people have looked for ways of explaining this. Maybe it's about health, right? But it doesn't like make a, much like sense. Like lack of refrigeration and yeah. things like Look, that. But. And perhaps some of that is behind that. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's no reason to um, discount those those things because in Leviticus, there seems to be like spiritual solutions for what we would see as natural problems. Mm-hmm. They don't the spiritual and the natural. They don't make that distinction. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really interesting. So even for health issues, there there are mm. you know sort of religious ceremonies to go through, and people are all too quick to be dismissive of all that primitive, yeah. that primitive stuff, and and that just shows that the Bible, if this is supposed to be a revelation of God, that shows that the Bible's just all you know defunct and mm-hmm. you know. Actually, there's something way more profound going on yeah. there. Something, in fact, that we can learn from. Uh, I think that. You know, nothing is purely physical. Everything is spiritual. Yeah. Uh, that's the first thing. But what what is being set up in, in all of these laws are these this way of life that was built to habituate this people to making the distinction. As I said a couple of times in the book of Leviticus, God says to Moses, make sure this people, we're going to train this people, this is my paraphrase, mm. we're going to train this people to habitually make distinctions between what is holy and what is unholy. Mm-hmm. So God says, I'm setting this apart, uh, and, and this is the ordering thing. This is food, this isn't. Mm-hmm. Sounds very much like the two trees. Yeah. You can eat from this tree, but not from that one, right? Yeah. So it, it, it's in, God's developing a habit there, like yeah. to, to get used to the idea of that separation. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't mean to doesn't mean that that particular thing that is declared unholy at that point in time is intrinsically no, that's unholy. Right. Yeah. It's the fact that I want you to treat this as holy and this as unholy to get you used to operating in that framework. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In fact, just just as he you know he taught that okay, the Gentiles are unholy, you're holy. Mm. Well, yes, in a sense, but but actually, God's purpose, ultimate purpose, was to re-establish a sense of the sacredness of all people. And so when Jesus comes, he certainly treats as sacred and, and holy mm. the, even the yeah. most defiled people from, from a cultural point of view. Yeah. And so even the idea of separation itself is built into those laws. So uh, so there are you know laws, do not sew a garment with two different types yeah. of thread, do not sew a field with two different kinds of do not mate two different kinds you know mm-hmm. it's it's this about order it's it you know so from the moment you got up to have your breakfast uh, yeah. to the moment you put on your clothes go out into your for every single aspect of the day you're having to make distinctions right mm-hmm. is this and and you're having to order your life right it's like this this training in this ordering of life right and and then you had regular reminders of your own unholiness because remember the center of Leviticus Day of Atonement uh, is God's provision for your sin, right? So you regularly have these built into your daily life are regular reminders of the inherent unholiness of human beings, not to shame you, right? This is the, the and this is where this gets misunderstood, mm. because like if you have a sore and it's a, like a weep, some kind of weeping sore, right? Let's say a boil, you have a boil. Leviticus says, well. Um, uh, you you become a, you, you you know you're to be deemed unholy Unclean, and you yeah. go outside the camp right yep that's that's man that's mm-hmm. 
like so this is a holy people you have to go outside the camp right, right. where you have this retreat to remind yourself that you are unholy but it's not that that thing necessarily made you holy mm-hmm. it becomes a reminder that you are you have actually as a human being you know you have become unholy and but god is dealing with that problem and so you would have your time out and then you would uh once and look part of that also is about you know hygiene contagion. and, and yeah. contagion and, yeah. and all of that sort of stuff there's that as well but the spiritual reasons are just important mm. probably because, more important mm. yeah because there's a there's an association of that with our inherent unholiness mm. because as we know disease enters the world as part of the disordering right mm-hmm. that's uh um, because human beings have lost their dominion, okay, and this is why it's important that when Jesus came, he shows his dominion over disease, the demonic, even the weather. Right? Mm-hmm. It's he is above that. But this isn't about that person specifically. They've got a boil because they personally are necessarily yeah. unholy. Yeah. I think it's important to say that sickness. Is no, a that's sign right. of sin in his life or her yeah, life that's right. at that and moment. And Jesus makes that very clear. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. It, it it becomes the mechanism actually to that's built us. into everyday yeah. day life to continually bring us to that place of humility where we find salvation. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, because you would you know you would separate yourself uh, then when and then when it healed up you would go and you would present yourself to the. Mm. Um, uh, you know, to the priest, yes. and you would go through this religious ceremony that would, uh, you know, that would symbolize your acceptance into the people of God so that they could, because God wanted to prevent them from ever taking that for granted. This is why these things were repeated, right? Mm. You know, that's why you had that stuff built. So even things like, you know, uh, I mean, this famous story in um, in the Gospels about the woman with the with the bleeding, you yeah. know, because and that was one of the things that separated her. Now, there was, you know, and, and Jesus heals that. And in a sense, by that stage, you see that there were there were some problems. In a way, these laws had been misused. They were seen as well. This person isn't because of that. Yes, is 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 unholy. And you had other people saying, "Well, I'm not that person. I'm this person, and I'm holy." And they're no, no. Actually, we're all unholy. Yeah. And you're as unholy as that person. It's just that 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 person has this this reminder of our brokenness, right? Our human brokenness, collective right? brokenness. And yeah. so, so th- those aspects of brokenness uh, in those sicknesses become uh, opportunities, actually, for us to be reminded of our need for salvation. Mm. Which was the same as a sacrificial system at the end of the day, yeah. was to constantly remind us exactly. that something has to pay the price. Yeah. So you've got so the whole thing is pointing, you know, all of the law, because this is the, this idea of the chiasm, everything points to the center, mm. and at the center is the Day of Atonement. Atonement and, yeah. and in a sense, that's where the cross is, right? So at the center, there is, is, is this act of redemption, and everything flows towards that. All of the law, all of the laws about purity and impurity are all to be understood in the light of that mm. great act of reconciliation yeah. that God brought about so for it's, us. It's all, as you were explaining that there too, the whole thing feels like it's pointing to something. Yeah. It's not the thing itself. Like yeah. even the boil was probably yeah. no big deal really. I mean, yeah. It's just a boil, but it's the point of making, making, I guess it, it would have made life pretty hard for those people yeah. living through all of the obligation to follow all these yep. rules and r- laws that many of them would have seemed, would certainly seem trivial to me looking at yeah. it from my, from my perspective now to, to live in that. So it would be a constant 
thing that would be with me all day, mm. a reminder, there'd be a weight of that would be yeah. upon me to, mm. to, 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 you know, just respect all of those laws and to follow them through. But the point of it is, is it's not, it's not the thing that, that boil that someone had was unholy or because mm. they were sinful. Yeah. What God is teaching there is the whole thing of going, I want you to see that there is an order that yes. comes out of yeah. saying this is holy and this is unholy. Yeah. Mm. And that's the only, he's not making a statement that that is holy and that is unholy. It's the constant weight of living with the sense of there is a holy and there is an unholy yeah. and being conscious of it and, 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 and wanting, I guess, to live your life in a way that is holy as opposed to unholy, even though it might come with a, yeah. a cost and a, and a weight to it. Yeah. So, so the very idea even of holiness, because one of the things in, in, in Leviticus, uh, and this is a continual theme through the book, is that God says, be holy as mm. I am holy, right? So, and this is about us reflect. This goes back to the image thing. We were created to reflect God's image, uh, which is really the ground for our particular sacredness. There's a sense in that, you know, we participate, um, as, as Peter says in his epistle, you know, that we may participate in the divine nature. I mean, that's, that's an exalted, this is what uh, really exalts human beings yeah. up as the crown of creation. And essentially the being holy is about elevating us back to that place. It's not about, you know, because we, we can fall into the, we can fall into understanding that in too much of a um, ethical way. It's about mm. it's about ethics. It's about not hurting people and, yeah. and doing the right thing by other people. But actually, there's there's a much bigger perspective. Uh, we're called not just to act ethically, but to be holy, right? So this is what adds the dimension to things like all sorts of elements of ethics, you know, including, you know, which is a big topic today around the idea of sexual ethics. It's not just about if people get hurt anymore. It's about us being holy and, and reflecting something about God. And the thing, interesting thing is in Genesis chapter one, when it talks about us being made in the image of God, it says male and female, he made, he made them, them, and it's in their mm. togetherness and their mutual complementarity, the diversity and the unity, uh, which is which is a direct reflection of God. That's that it's it's that togetherness in the diversity, the unity and diversity that is part of God's order to reflect his holiness. Mm. Right. So 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 this this is why it's um we don't just reflect God's glory even individually we reflect God's glory through community this is why one of the key things about the church the church is to be God's temple that it, that radiates his glory and one of the ways that we do that according to the new testament is order this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 let everything be done in an orderly manner manner like mm. if you don't do it in an orderly manner you've defeated the whole purpose of everything right and it's not just about having a good run sheet and, mm. you know, it's it's about uh, respecting the different parts and understanding the different role of the different parts. It's understanding uh, submission, understand all, all these principles about uh, about order. So it's in our unity in the church, in the way that each part works together, respecting the others, the body of Christ picture that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 12. In that, we become, what do we become? We become the body of Christ, mm -hmm. and Christ is the very image of God. And so, again, 
that reflecting the the image that that being holy is not just an individual thing. It's not just I'm just because it's. I always think it'd be easy to be holy if you just went off and lived in the desert on your own, like the desert fathers. Like man, mm. these are, they're so holy. These guys. Mm. Well, okay, they didn't have a wife. That that helps. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm being facetious. You know, it's yeah. like because it's it's the closest relationships that bring out the the best and the worst in you, and that's God's design for it, right? Mm. So, excluding yourself and going out living on your own, it's like, well, okay, you don't. You don't have other people to work with, or it's fine when you're alone in a cave somewhere. Okay, it's easy. To, you might feel like you're holy in that situation, although mm. in, invariably they found themselves, you know, struggling with demonic forces and all sorts yeah. of things. Mm. So, so I don't want to demean the desert fathers there at, at all, but but it's actually, uh, you know, it's there's a call to holiness in everyday life, and mm. it's it's very much about community, mm. and being holy is about. Uh, being a part of God's order and community. Yeah. So, so ethics is probably more focused on determining what's right and what's wrong, mm. whereas holiness is more about um, understanding that we're set apart for a sacred purpose, basically. Yeah. And it's yeah. Not so the idea of purpose is really in that because, yeah, because uh, you know if. It, because often on that flat, you know, horizontal, if it's just, you know, if we're judging things just about whether we feel good or not, about whether them. we feel good or not about them, exactly yeah. whether it's pain or pleasure, there's no element of a purpose there, right? Mm. No, it's yeah. not just about whether it hurts or doesn't hurt. Mm. It's about does this fulfill its God-given purpose, purpose yeah. in God's order, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, well, if it's not part of, if it's if it doesn't take its right place in God's order, then that is the epitome of, in a sense, what is sinful or okay. wrong yeah. or evil, in which, a sense. Which which is more than just whether it's immoral or moral. Like, moral to me is yeah, exactly. a, a small subset Absolutely. of it. And holiness, I mean, it, I even think that, well, you could pursue holiness through piety and, um, you know, strict observance of what it is mm. that you think God wants you to do, yeah. pursuing those moral objectives yeah. and, and so on, and going out and living in the desert and spending all of your time pursuing God in, in your way through um, living a certain way and following all of those yeah. rules yeah. that you think God wants you to follow. And they may actually be the rules that God laid down, like for the, like an example in, in Leviticus. But there's a danger in that, that you can actually do all of that and still not be holy because it's not the doing of it that's yeah, holy. Exactly, It's yeah. actually recognizing that holiness is actually yeah. That it's actually got nothing to do with any of that stuff. It's it's the willingness to go, I set this apart and I trust that God has an order for it and I want to step into that order. Or yeah. And purpose. Order and purpose. Order and Because otherwise order just becomes a, a, a goal in well, itself. But, but actually the reason for the order is so that we can achieve a purpose, a pur- God's given purpose. To me, yeah. purpose is the order. My purpose is fitting into the order yeah, that's of right. God's yeah. created for me and my yeah. life as well. But yeah. do I want to participate in that? Do I want to step into my purpose that God's given me rather than the purpose that I think mm. that I want to pursue? Yeah. Mm. But do I want the one that God's ordained for me, the order for my life, the order that's that that's there in the community and society that I live in? Am I willing to trust God with that and actually go, that's just what I want to step into. I'm not pursuing a moral agenda. No, that's right. So you can well, actually well, we are, but we're 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 going even beyond that. Yes, we're not just to we're not just called to live moral lives. Yeah, uh, that language actually, interestingly, isn't 
it's it's well, I mean, it does talk about immorality and so mm. forth in the English translation, but there's actually something beyond that. Yeah. Uh, it's not just immorality. We're not just called to live moral lives, but to live holy lives. Yeah. And and holiness is is about our capacity to exhibit the glory of God. And so, doesn't it really, in a sense, what you're saying, Connell? In a sense, the answer to that is in Jesus' critique of the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, yeah. whose religion had become very much about what they didn't do. You know, we and mm. protecting things from from being desecrated. So they they sort of captured the negative sense, but the positive sense of an actual positive purpose. Mm-hmm. They were pushing the negatives to the point where they were not even willing to heal someone on the Sabbath. And, and, and Jesus' critique of that was, no, no, all of this is for a positive purpose. Uh, so, it, of course, it's right to heal on the Sabbath because mm, it's yeah. the best time to heal because yeah. it, it's, you know, it's restoring something sacred. And so there's this, you know, that they'd lost a sense, a sight of the positive aspect that all of the, I guess, the, more, the negative laws as such were pointing towards a fulfillment of that positive aspect. I think when Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law, he's setting up a difference between just keeping the letter of the law and actually fulfilling the spirit of the law in your life. Purpose, yeah. So I think actually we're not even meant to just follow a law. We're actually called by the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the law. I think this is actually what Luke portrays in the aftermath of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and the way that he depicts, in, interestingly, he doesn't just go to the behavior of individuals. He talks about the creation of true community, mm-hmm. you know, the way that they lived in harmony together. And this is depicted at the end of Acts chapter 2 as the fruit of the Spirit. So they for, were fulfilling the law because so much of the Mosaic law pointed to that kind of life. Now, the Jews never really fulfilled that. There were always problems with that. Mm. Um, You know, so they had, you know, in a sense, what they achieved by the Holy Spirit, they achieved a true sense of loving their neighbor and living in community and true sense of Sabbath and a true sense of trust. And, you know, all of the things that were idealized in the law are actually then depicted as being brought about, not Perfectly, yeah. and and certainly we see in subsequent chapters it wasn't perfect, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are enabled actually to fulfil the spirit yeah. of the law. So a lot of those things are really um, a lot of the aspects of the law. I see almost as like the safety barriers that yeah. if we if we kind of stay within that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, in, in those bound and those boundaries are, are there to keep bumping us back. Always, not even so much bumping us back to obey them, but to always keep thinking, I want to, the journey that I'm on, mm. I want to keep differentiating between the holy and unholy, because that's mm. important to me. I mean, that's the whole point of being a Christian, is you start to care. You go, I want to be holy as mm. opposed to unholy. Prior to being a Christian, I couldn't care less about holiness. Yeah. Mm. So mm. it's it's starting to care. And so those laws and things mm. are, are keep bumping me back into. I've got to care. I've got to keep caring mm. about what order God has set. And it's eventually it gets to a point you just start to naturally live yeah. in a community that reflects the ultimately the things that God wants yeah. us to do. Yeah, it was never right. about the two threads mixing two threads. 
Yeah. He didn't really care about that. It was just the fact of observing it is like a kind of a safety barrier going, I want you to care about that because if you care about that, then you care about what I'm telling That's you to do. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. And the goal, of course, when I talk it's about fulfilling the spirit of the law, the goal is, as you say, it's that being holy, which actually means reflecting God. Mm-hmm. We're, we're to reflect the glory of That's God right. to each other. And remember that the thing that the human heart most longs for is the glorious and the sublime. It's the top of that vertical yeah. axis, as we've yeah. been saying. Yeah. And we can actually reflect that to yeah. each other. We, we, in fact, are meant to be reflectors of that. Uh, of course, when Jesus says, you know, I've come to fulfill the law, he is the very, he is the, the I mean, by, by definition, the very perfect image of the, of the invisible God, uh, as it says in the New Testament. But we're also to be, tra- we, it, the New Testament speaks about us being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Yeah. Right. And so there's, it's not just about what we don't do. Yes. It's about who we're meant to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's the key thing. It's not just do this and don't do that. It's mm-hmm. about being a certain kind of person that reflects the glory of God. So a lot of people see a massive contradiction between Jesus in the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament. You hear yeah. that all the time. Like it's like God changes personality, you know, from a you know, a God who had all these laws and mm, judgment pinned everyone mm. down and judged them hard and so on. But if you actually look at it that way, you kind of think, Well, Jesus was actually reflecting the end point. He was, yeah. He's saying, be like me. And it's the ultimate point of liberation, really, because yeah. um, liberation isn't about being set free to achieve things along that horizontal line between pain and pleasure and getting everything that we want. That ends up empty. Lots, lots, mm. You know, there's abundant testimony to that. Uh, freedom looks like soaring above that, in a sense. Yeah. It's, it's that elevation and that ability to connect and enjoy uh, the sacred in, in each other and to be set free to actually become who we are. Uh, it's, it's liberation from our false identities uh, mm-hmm. because part of what we get set free is from, in a sense, the cocoons of our very limited self-imposed identities that we have to keep. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, there's so much exhaustion. So there's in that there's a journey. And that, yeah. where I said before about the Old Testament, we're not supposed to be looking like the God of the Old Testament was supposed mm. to look like Jesus. Yeah. But what God was doing in the Old Testament was like Well, I, I, I'll say we, we are, it, the God of the Old Testament is, is the I mean, God that is re- re- yeah, revealed course. in Jesus. Of course. I mean, but Jesus the, is the way, ultimate revelation. The way God, that he yeah. revealed himself yeah. to people yeah. was, was, you know, lots of laws, lots of rules, lots of, you yeah. know, stuff that we would say nowadays is, is just, a lot of them just don't make sense. They yeah. just seem pedantic almost. So, and that's the criticism that a lot of people would, would make of 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 Christianity that these laws are just nonsensical they're just pedantic they're just you know but that's part of the journey mm. Jesus was revealed to say this is this is the end point yeah this mm. is where I'm trying to get you to and when you understand Leviticus being as you've explained it right in the middle of the intersection yeah. of the Torah it's it's saying this is it and, and this is yeah. the journey I want you to go on. Yeah. You know, it's to it's to ultimately it's to that center point. Yeah, if you can be like Jesus, I don't need you to worry about wearing two threads. Yeah, and mixing your threads in your garments. Yeah, ultimately, I'm trying to get you, making you to be like yeah. to be it's, like Jesus. It's kind of the difference between I'll tell you how, I'll show you how. Yes, and Jesus says I'll show you how. Yes, uh, yeah, that's right. I think it's important though, uh, just my observation anyway, and and you know I've got a. A little bit of Jewish heritage, but I don't know that all of those 
I don't think we've discovered yet necessarily all of the things around some of those laws. We think they have no real purpose at all. But there are things we discover as insights. So, for instance, in eating pig, for instance, you know, if you understand how pigs' digestive systems work and why there's so much fat and crackling is because their digestive system doesn't work as effectively as most other animals and the toxins end up in their skin. And so there is a reason why God's saying, you know, it's not that it's going to kill you, but it's actually not a good idea. Potentially, Stu, to eat pork. Don't spoil yes. my Kransky experience. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm spoiling your Kransky experience. Anyway, I just want to make it clear. I don't yeah, think yeah, that that's... I don't think that all of those necessarily no. were, and we may not ever fully know why that was a law. But I, I'm totally right. getting your point. It's not just about what you're doing. It's actually about the constant reminder yeah. that we're meant to be set apart, and and to do that, it's like sometimes we have to have those constant reminders. It's like you know we encourage people to fast and pray. Yeah. It's not because not eating is going to make you any better but it means that as you're hungry through that day you're constantly thinking yeah. why am i doing this i'm doing this because i'm set apart yeah, for god's right. sake and we purpose. need to be okay with the fact that these things are that we there may not be a reason we understand exactly. and may, we don't have to care about the reason and i think that sort of brings us to where we look at society now we try to through our eyes go is it reasonable is it is a is it hurting someone else or, or what and we kind of go we, it's almost like we we jump ahead of god and go well we'll be, we'll be fine we can mm. um engage in in all sorts of yeah. things that i think doesn't make sense why they're right or wrong we just have to be okay with the fact that at the end of the day that god said it's not the order mm. that i've created the world to be mm-hmm. And you just have to, and that comes down to, be, to trust. You have to yeah. be okay to accept yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And that's that comes right. down to trust. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right yeah. at the beginning of the fall, it's like, did God really say that? You yeah, know, that was right. the question right at the start. Can we really trust God? Yeah. In our in in the other uh, podcasts uh, that we do, um, Stu, the Thrive Deeper. You know, we've been looking at the, at John's Gospel. And, yeah. And uh, in John chapter one, you know, it talks about Jesus revealing the glory you know we have seen the glory of god in jesus and there's this sense in which you know as you were saying connell like you read those passages in the old testament a lot of people feel disturbed by particularly some of the civil laws and 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 i often say in reply to that that actually isn't the ultimate revelation of how god wants to be understood some of those things are necessary evils almost idea of necessary evil is when you have to do a bad thing because because the situation to start with is so bad mm. you know that this bad thing is is necessary you know like ca- the, some of the capital punishment but you know mm. you know the, the classic example you know is is like people being stoned and all these terrible things you know and and people get disturbed by that and i'm always quick to say but that isn't actually the old that's not the end point this this is a step you know, this is taking something that by cultural standards actually at the time was pretty lenient but because um, uh, of harsh times, mm-hmm. but it's moving towards somewhere. So we've got to be reminded that this is all moving towards something and that something is Jesus, right? Jesus, only Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is in the most perfect, perfect sense. Scripture is perfect in the in the sense that it is it's the perfect pathway towards that, right? But it's all moving somewhere. It's dynamic, right? It's a, it's you know. But the end point is you know is Jesus, and and you know this is the Jesus that when a woman was caught in adultery, brought to him, and the Pharisees said she should. The law says da da da. This is what should happen. And Jesus says, what does he do? He shows He said, let he of you who is without sin cast the first stone. And he shows mercy to this woman, but he also calls her to holiness. Mm. You know, go and sin no more. 
and so there's this there's this wonderful grace and 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 you see there the character of God in its you know in, in its ultimate form but we're also called to participate in that we are actually called to participate in the divine nature and reflect God's holiness to reflect who God is that is a high high calling Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. If there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.